Welcome to the Word of Life AG podcast. Do you want a relationship with God that can change your life? Today, Pastor Fred Driscoll is going to tell us how. But first, if you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. That's wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church or even check out some next steps. We're so glad you're getting caught up. So let's get right into today's message. Pastor Fred has titled, Jesus Encounters That Change. Good morning, Word of Life. It's great to see all of you here. Uh, As far as Pastor Tom goes, uh, they were supposed to be back this week. Uh, They took, uh, Pastor Tom and Pastor Megan last week took a great vacation, just the two of them. That was awesome. I'm glad they did that. They came back, uh, and one of their kids, I almost said who, oops, uh, one of their kids started sharing the flu throughout the house. Uh, so, uh, Pastor Tom, unfortunately, yesterday made the call that, hey, it was better to keep their flu at home, we appreciate that, uh, than to come and share. Uh, so that's where they are at this morning. You know what we should do? You know, they're our pastors. Let's take a minute to pray for the Woodhouse, if you would, with me. Father, we thank you for giving us incredible leaders at this church. We thank you for, for pastors Tom and Pastor Megan and for everything that they've done, for answering the call, for coming here and for leading such an incredible body. We pray right now for their family. Uh, we pray for the house. Father, we pray that you would continue to do the work in them and continue to heal them uh, so that they may be restored to do the work you've called them here. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, um, I don't know about you, uh, I'm kind of coming out of winter break mode. Uh, This week was kind of refreshing, uh, not having to come in every day, but it's it's great to kind of get back into these things that God has called us to do, and uh, I'm I'm excited for it. Uh, Wolk is doing great. I had to give it a quick plug since I'm up here. Um, You know, it's amazing to watch God open doors in all the ministries of this church from what Pastor Annie is doing with youth uh, to Pastor Christy and, and Life Kids. Everything that's going on, it's great to see God's favor on it. Uh, As he opens doors and as he gives us favor, uh, I wanted to take the opportunity this morning to to touch on encounters with God. And when Pastor Tom called me yesterday, I said, what do you want me to preach on? He says, I trust you. I was like, okay. Uh, My prayer for you this morning is coming away from this, that you're going to be encouraged, maybe challenged, and that God is going to find you in your moment right now. You know, there's close to 40 separate miracles that are recorded that Christ did apart from his resurrection when he walked the earth. These are recorded in the Gospels, of course. If you know the New Testament, it's the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of these miracles, at least 30 involved direct encounters with Christ, reaching in and changing the lives of people, whether it be physical healings, uh, whether it be freedom from oppression, whether it be um, raising the dead, uh, that, that one I'm, I'm interested in. I don't know, uh, man, I don't know if I ever want to say I want to experience that one because kind of like I'd be the guy running out screaming. I'm just, I'm putting that out there. Uh, but he did all of these miracles and it's recorded there in the New Testament, 30 miracles involving direct encounters with people. And, and, and many of these miracles involve multitudes of people. If you look at the text, uh, Matthew 8, 16 and 17, it says that they brought many to him. They didn't doubt. They knew what they wanted. They wanted an encounter with Jesus. Matthew 14, verses 35 through 36, says them they recognized it was Jesus. The men sent for all the sick in the village, and they brought them that he would allow them to at least touch the hem of his garment. 
What was happening here is word was getting out. They'd heard about uh, the woman in Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 48, who had what the Bible calls an issue of blood. And she knew as she saw Jesus coming by in the great crowd that if she was just able to reach out and touch just the bottom of his robe, the hem, the very bottom of it, that his authority and his anointing would flow into her and she'd be healed. So word was getting out. People were being healed. They knew that an encounter with Jesus meant everything. Many of these miracles, many of these encounters of Jesus went unwritten. John chapter 21 verse 25 tells us this. It says, and there were also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Church, we serve a God of miracles and a God who wants us to encounter him. And John's saying, we have no idea of the amount of work that Christ did here. That's a lot of books to fill the world. Now, obviously, they're, they're, they're speaking with a little bit of an exaggeration here. And when we moved uh, from Auburn here, uh, I had to pack my library up. And so I know what a lot of books looks like. If you want, I can send you pictures. I have a pallet in my garage stacked with books. But it's amazing to think of all these encounters that people had with Christ, the God of miracles. Who here this morning could use a miracle of Jesus in your life? It was great to see the teens up front this morning getting into the presence of God. Who here could use an encounter with Jesus, the one and only? Of all these miracles, we're going to take the opportunity this morning uh, to touch on just one. I would say it's probably one of the most meaningful miracles recorded in Scripture. Jesus heals a leper. We're going to be in Luke 17 today, and I kind of wrote this one a little bit differently, so we're going to kind of be in and out, back and forth. So if you have a Bible or have a Bible app, it may be just as easy to open that up and follow as it is to read it on the screen this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 17, I'm going to read just a couple of the verses, and then we're going to stop and talk, and then we're going to go back to a couple more verses and stop and talk. It'll be all right. It says this, it says, well, he was on the way to Jerusalem, he being Jesus, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood a distance, stood at a distance, met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth that we're diving into this morning. We pray that it sits in each of our hearts. And that you reveal something new to each and every one of us. In your name, amen. It's important to note here that they knew who Jesus was. Or at least they, they knew who, the, he thought, who they thought he was. His reputation preceded him. We just talked a minute ago how he lived in a way that drew attention. He traveled from place to place. And as, as his, I guess you can call it, fame grew, his notoriety grew, people came out to greet him. They brought their they brought their sick, and they brought their possessed, and they brought their dead, in some cases, to Jesus to have this touch, to have this experience. He lived in a way that drew attention to him. I have a quick question here, and I'll do this a couple times today. Let me ask you this. Do you live in a, such a way that your life draws attention to Christ? See, these men had leprosy. If you're not familiar with leprosy, uh, let me kind of give you just a short description of the turmoil that you would live in if you had leprosy. See, nobody had touched these men since they were found to be unclean. It was a horrid disease. 
They were forced, and I mean forced, to live away from society, leaving behind family, spouses, children, some cases lucrative careers, their livelihoods. They were forced to live in a, le- in a colony of lepers. If you've ever watched the older movie, I say that respectfully, older movie, uh, Ben-Hur, uh, the t- tale of the Christ. And towards the end, you, you see this, this, this uh, Ben-Hur, his, he comes back and his, I think it's his mothers and sisters have leprosy. And you get a glimpse of that. And that's actually very accurate when you not only study the scriptures, but study the history around the disease. They lived practically at the whim of the town that they were banished from. They had to bring them their rations. They lived in filthy conditions. They lived with stale and rotting food. They hadn't felt human touch, some of them in years. Matter of fact, when they traveled out of their colony, they were required not only to cover themselves, but yell out, unclean, leper, as they walked supposedly around the village. If they got too close to town or if they got too close to a group of people, the people would pick up stones and start throwing at them. That's what their life was. Isolated and alone. They lived as the rejects of society. Yet even they had heard of Jesus. Now the Bible doesn't say if they traveled that day intently to meet Jesus. But it did not catch him by surprise when they called out to him saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. See, they were ready for an encounter with Jesus. I pray that you came in this morning ready for an encounter with Jesus. We had an incredible time of worship this morning. They cried out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Verse 14. What was Jesus' reply? Well, it says this. It says, when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. They had to go. That was part of a healing. If a miracle or healing were to take place by Jewish law, they had to go and show themselves to the priests. The priests would then declare that they are clean, which meant that their banishment would be lifted. But the God who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence spoke their healing in that moment. See, Jesus healed and performed miracles in so many different ways. Here he chose to speak, and we're going to get into it in a minute. He didn't say you're healed. He said go. Now, I spent a better part of a decade, decade and a half as a kid's pastor, and I usually love to, when I preach or teach, to have something up here to do with my hands, because if I don't, they go crazy. Uh, but I, so I like to do things, and uh, we've talked on healing before when I was in Michigan for a couple of years. Uh, I, I did... A teaching on healing, and I chose uh, the interaction of Jesus and the blind man. And when Jesus uh, made mud on the ground and spit into it and made this paste and put it on the man's eyes, did he have to do it? No. Was it elaborate? Sure. I mean, we love elaborate things, right? And so I had a kid come up, and I had, uh, I had some, some dirt from the yard and a pitcher of water, and I'm making it, and this kid's like, yeah, whatever, go for it, dude. He was like eight years old, didn't know what he was doing. He's like, yeah, and I'm, and I'm getting through the lesson. I'm like, yeah, and Jesus then spit. And so I spit into the dirt, and I'm mixing. I know what's going to happen. I lost my volunteer. He was like, nope. But Jesus used so many different ways to prove he was God, not that he had to, to prove th- he was God through his encounters with people. See, in this encounter, he, he implied their healing. 
See, he saw them, he knew, they asked, and it was done. If you read through the passage, and don't worry, we will, uh, it was not until later that he uttered the words, your faith has made you well. See, they didn't doubt their encounter for a minute. The text said that their healing came as they were going, as they were leaving, as they were walking away in obedience. Let's talk about obedience for a minute. This one can be hard for us. See, so many times we have an encounter with the God of heaven, and we question it. Did that really happen? Was that really God? I'd ask the kids, was it the burrito from last night? We have an encounter with the God of heaven, and we, we question it, or we, or we question what he tells us to do. Usually we question what he tells us to do because we don't like what he's told us to do. That's a big kid moment right there. Maybe it doesn't fit our preconceived idea of what God should do. Or it doesn't fit our idea of how God should fix our problems. See, these men heard what Christ said. They listened. And they were willing to obey. They followed his instructions without question. Hallelujah. I Never mind. Okay. We struggle here sometimes. It kind of defines my role, is it? Okay. It's when the healing happened. It's when they experienced their encounter with God. Some are sitting here today in this room or maybe watching online waiting for a move of God waiting for God to do something in their lives. Maybe you've been waiting for a long time. And it hasn't happened yet. Maybe it's healing, maybe it's restoration. Maybe it's a prodigal, you're praying and begging God to come home. Sometimes there's this moment where you know that God has told you what to do but you're too afraid to do it. See, church, when we walk in obedience, we start allowing God to work in our lives. When we trust him fully enough to say, you know what, I've, I've come to you, you've seen me, I need to be healed, but you're telling me to walk <laughs> away from you. That was what was going on here. I mean, if I saw Jesus, I'd be like, no, I want to come see you. He's like, no, go, go to the priest's. Be obedient. When we walk in obedience, our encounters with God are so much more meaningful. When we allow him to work as he wants to work in our lives, things go so much better. I've sat and counseled people that have tried to do things their own way. And sometimes putting that mess back together causes so much pain. here's my fair warning to you. Just obey him. It may seem hard, may seem difficult. It may not make much sense, but just obey him. Back to Luke 17, verse 15. Now one of them, one, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. 
Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. We're going to look at a couple key moments in this encounter. And I really want to focus on the responses here because this man did a couple things that I think we should recognize and practice in our lives. Now, I'll be at the other nine they kept walking. I mean, they had an encounter with Jesus. They had an encounter with the Son of God. It's amazing. And it didn't phase them. See, they got what they wanted, their need was met, and they kept going. See, for some reason, their divine provision that they had, this healing that they encountered, didn't stir any desire in them to respond. What it's saying is you can come in and you can have a special moment in the presence of God and it doesn't stir anything inside of you. They were so caught up in what they needed from God that they neglected the relationship with him. Church, let's not follow the path of the nine. They built no relationship with God. They were in it for their moment, for their encounter, and they were willing to walk away from relationship with him. It's the, the drive-through encounter, not the stay-and-dine mentality. Now, the tenth man, the tenth man was changed by his encounter with Jesus. And three things happened. Three things. Here's my first key point if you're taking notes. The man noticed that he was changed. The man noticed he was changed. Verse 15 says, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed... He saw that he had been healed. Now, I'm not saying that the others uh, didn't notice. It would have been very evident as they walked. You see, when you have an encounter with God, it changes you. It should. It changes you. Nothing feels the same. Maybe the burdens that you've been carrying all of a sudden lift, and you don't feel this, this shame and this guilt that you've been carrying. Nothing looks the same to you anymore. You look at tragedy, you look at, at troubles, you look at difficulties, not with, a, not with a, a hopeless look of doom and a cloud of darkness, but with an understanding that, hey, you've got a God that's walking with you. He's gotten you through so much, he's going to get you through this. It changes you to your very core. It changes who you are. It changes your desires, your goals. It realigns your priorities. It's because everything changes when you encounter the very one who created you. That's why the ministry of Christ on earth is so vital. It was so vital that he showed up here, that he walked amongst us, that he walked with the very ones that he created so that he could be in relationship with them, so that he could touch their lives, so they could see the love of God, so they could see who he was demonstrated in the flesh. For this man, Christ healed him and restored his life. He could walk with people again. 
He could touch his family. He knew that everything was different now. You see, no one walks away from an encounter with God without being changed. Let me say that again in case you missed it. (laughs) Nobody walks away from an encounter with God without being changed. Kind of leads to my second point. His encounter with God that changed him led him to recognize (laughs) that he had had an encounter with God. You say, how can you miss that? Well, it's possible. Nine guys walked away. I think I've shared before that I have an overactive imagination, which has worked well with, you know, 10 plus years in kids ministry. Um, These stories tend to come alive in my head uh, when I read them. Uh, They sometimes, and maybe I have something I don't know about, uh, but they play out like a movie in my head. Hopefully nobody's diagnosing me right now. And I don't feel so bad about it because as I was kind of researching this, this encounter a little bit yesterday, um, I came across somebody else that thinks the same way I do, so I feel a lot better about myself at the moment, which really isn't that important, but anyways. But I could almost imagine the soon-to-be former leper walking away. He's following Christ. He said, okay, go show yourself. Jesus, you haven't said I'm healed yet, but you said go, so I'm going to start walking. Maybe in the first few seconds as he's walking, doubt doubt starts to creep in. I don't know if you've experienced doubt before. We we had the opportunity uh, to go down and visit family in Virginia over Christmas break. And most of you know the story. Uh, Caitlin ended up uh, in, uh, in the hospital, then in ICU for almost a week. I drove back with the kids, with the rest of the kids by myself and flew Christy back later. Uh, but we had the opportunity, uh, it was not really something we had sought out, uh, to be on the same floor of the hospital where Brandon, who's serving in Life Kids right now, was about a month after his birth. Uh, he had uh, late onset group B strep meningitis at three and a half weeks old. And it's kind of, it takes your breath away as the elevator doors open back up and you step out and you're following your wife in the wheelchair holding Caitlin as you walk past places. Because when tragedy happens or when life changes or when we have encounters, we almost set up these monuments and these times and these places and these things. And I walked past and around the corner where I held my wife after they cleared us out of the room when our baby had modeled. And if you know what that means, it's not good. Turned black and checkered as they ushered us out of the room. They ushered us down the hallway and we walked past, thank God, not into, past the room where he had been right before we almost lost him. See, we have so many opportunities for doubt in our lives. This man had the opportunity for doubt. Brandon's doing great, by the way. But doubt could have crept in. Another failed attempt. Another promising prophet. I'm going to go ahead and do this anyways. He may have thought, well, I guess I'll just go back to the essential oils. Good thing my wife's not in here. All right. But as he's walking, he starts realizing that feeling is being restored to his fingers. He thinks, wait a minute, I have fingers again. <laughs> Leprosy was pretty disgusting. Things started losing feeling, and he didn't know if he'd cut it off, and it would rot, and we won't get into too much detail. 
He realizes that he can feel his feet hitting the dirt road. He brings his hands back to his face as he slows his pace. And it's in that moment that he starts to realize the healing that he is experiencing. And he probably loses track of his companions that are traveling further off into the distance. At this moment, without realizing it's just him and his encounter with Jesus, everything else in the split second has faded away. He realizes now that he's changed. He realizes that he has had an encounter not with just a great teacher, not just some miracle worker that everybody's been buzzing about, not some great prophet. He stops and realizes that he has had an encounter with the one that knows him by name, the one that spoke him into existence. He realizes in that moment that the God of heaven has just stepped into his life and that Jesus, only Jesus, has changed him forever. And he turns back. This brings us to my third key point. And don't worry, I'm not that close to being done. The man responded to his encounter with Christ. If you keep reading in the chapter, it says he came back glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. Church, that should be our response to an encounter with Christ. What else do you do when you have an encounter with Jesus? The one who came and stepped into your reality. The one that flipped the script on your life. I like to think that the man ran back. It wasn't a slow, meandering stroller walk. He ran, sliding to his knees before the one who knew him better than he even knew himself. Weeping, he threw himself at Jesus' feet. Josh McDowell, a respected author and youth evangelist, points out in a, a devotion for youth, actually, on the ten lepers, that it was altogether possible that the tenth leper didn't realize he was alone. Even at the feet of Jesus, he didn't realize that he was alone. It didn't matter. He suffered from tunnel vision at this point, which isn't a medical diagnosis. Nothing else mattered. All that mattered was what was standing in front of him, and that was Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been through any type of rigorous training. When everything else just fades away, except for what's going on right in front of you. I spent a short amount of time in police academy before I messed my knee up, and they made sure we experienced tunnel vision. And they did a very good job at it. Everything else melts away. One thing mattered. He was so passionate in his pursuit of the one who healed him, he paid no attention to the responses of those who were around him. You know, sometimes we can get caught up in other people's responses. at these moments when it should be just you and Jesus, you and your creator. These moments of worship, worship is so much more meaningful when it's done with total abandon, when everything else is aside. You've given up. You don't care what people think. You don't care what anybody else is doing. You don't care how awesome the band is. By the way, we have a great worship team. You just know it's you in Jesus, in that moment, and nothing else matters. The tenth leper's response was appropriate in every aspect. 
He worshiped Jesus. He got on his knees. He put his face to the ground worshiping, thanking the God of heaven for an encounter that only Jesus could do. I didn't coordinate it this morning with the worship team or with Alex. I was standing there in worship and trying to fight the baby from grabbing my microphone. Um, it, was just, it just kept hitting true. The words that they spoke, the, the, the worship that we had this morning of, of getting into that place, getting into that position where you're responding to the move of God in your life. The Samaritan man responded in gratitude. For some reason, we struggle with gratitude. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's selfishness, maybe it's just part of our human nature. One Christian leader uh, points out that gratitude makes us happier. It makes us more successful. And gratitude makes us better leaders. You're like, I'm not a leader. Yeah, you are. I looked into gratitude just a little bit, and in his book, Thanks, How Practicing Gratitude Can Make You Happier, a man by the name of Robert Emmons, who's a, spent the better part of his life studying gratitude and its effect on our psych, psyche, or he's a, he's a psychologist, let me put it that way. He wrote this, he says, Grateful people experience higher levels of positive emotions such as joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness, and optimism, and that the practice of gratitude as a discipline protects a person from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed, and bitterness. Our response to the move of God in our lives should be start with humble gratitude before our King. The Samaritan responded to this encounter with Jesus with full humility, grounded and expressed and felt gratitude that led him back to the one that not only healed him, but changed him. He held on to no bitterness. He forgot the pain of his past, and he enthusiastically clung to the one who brought him through. He was moved beyond his self-interest, beyond his priorities. He moved from the encounter with Jesus into an attitude of worship. See, we get so caught up in what we expect Christ to do for us that when he does it, we forget to stop and worship him and praise him and thank him for what he does. I'm going to slip right back in to chapter 17. Because there's one more thing I wanted to point out for you. Because I love Jesus' response. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? We read this. But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. See, nobody likes giving a gift to somebody who's ungrateful. But this man had an extra story. He was a foreigner. Matter of fact, he was one who people treated miserably even outside of the fact that he had the leprosy. See, in the time of Christ, people traveled out of their way to stay as far away from Samaria as possible because they hated them. The Jews and Samaritans did not get along. But Jesus loved them. Just the fact that Jesus was traveling in this direction is outstanding. It was with full intent that Christ traveled there at that time because he saw their need. 
Christ fully intended, intended their encounter with him. God wants to have an encounter with you. He seeks you out. He wants to bring healing and restoration into your life. And one thing that we must realize in the heart of the cultural enigmatic twist that was not only did Jesus intend to encounter these 10 men against cultural norms, against all common understanding, he approached them with no malice. At the height of the time of Christ, the Samaritans and the Jews operated in total hatred of each other. I point this out only to say that we have said so many times from this stage that God wants an encounter with you because he loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter the hurts or the feelings of shame that you may carry, he seeks you out. Not out of vindictiveness, but out of the love that only a father with his face set to heal, restore, and renew could have for his child. Just as he set out to change the lives of those 10 men, he desires the same encounter with you. This foreigner who culture hated and whose own people told him he should hate back, this foreigner knew better. And he responded to his encounter with praise, worship, and gratitude before Christ. I think it's important to note as Luke is concluding this, this story of the, uh, or his encounter or his recalling of the, of the 10 lepers that he moves right into a very quick teaching that's often missed. Verse 20 says, Now having been questioned by the Pharisees, as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's a kingdom of heaven that is already here. Christ brought it to us. And it's up to us to spread it. It's a kingdom of our hearts. This whole encounter is about a change of heart. It's about love reaching in and restoring See, Christ came at that moment and at this moment to transform our hearts. That's what the leper experienced. Not just physical healing, but a full transformation. Our response to the miracle of God in our life should bring us to a change in our hearts, a realigning of who we are. And it will place us outside of the cultural sways and into a life-changing decision that will change you. There's a famous quote. I looked it up yesterday. I had to scroll uh, through my pictures and I, I found it. I first saw it on a banner uh, sitting right down the hill. It says this, if you believe Jesus is who he says he is, the only logical response is to follow him with everything. Tom Wood. I have a few questions that may apply for you this morning before we go back into a time of worship. My first one is this. Will you, encounter, will you allow your encounters to change you? Will you let them make you new? Will you let the encounter with Jesus set you free? Will you let him heal your heart and change it? One man did. Here's my second one. When you have your encounters, what will you do with it? What will you do with your encounters? Some have changed the world. Some have impacted their families. Some have touched their communities. 
when you have your encounters, what will you do with it? My last one's this, how will you respond? Will you be like the nine? Unfazed? Jaded? Unmoved? Will you be like the one who fell on his knees, his face before God in worship, his life forever changed because the king had stepped in and he had had an encounter. Now scripture doesn't tell us what came next for the leper, but I will bet you anything that he was never the same again because he had come before Jesus. He had had an encounter. He stopped. He let it change him and he fell on his feet in gratitude and worship before his king. 